Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. What a great conversation we had with Sarah. And I just love the conversations around the ideas of curiosity. And then she had this amazing phrase at the end where she said, we need to train our brain for curiosity. Yeah, and for me, it was the concept of sitting with people in their really difficult spaces, not having answers, but just being able to sit with people um, and how that could potentially impact the way we engage as a church community. And so we invite you to listen in. Zero, welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you with us. Kathy and I are so looking forward to this conversation with you. So it's awesome to just get a chance to hear a little bit more about you and your your thoughts and your journey around church and, and what changes could be ahead of us if we are to continue to, to develop and thrive and, and serve our communities well. So thank you so much for making some time. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a good time. Awesome. So I wonder, as we begin, if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are. What does it mean to be Sarah in the world today? Yeah, I'll sum that up in two minutes. I mean, we'll start with the practical stuff of like, I did the undergraduate degree at Cary and the YPL Youth Pastoral Leadership Track. I finished that last year. Now I'm doing a postgrad paper on human flourishing, looking at shame stuff. I attend a local church. I do some intermediate age ministry. Yeah, I've been a part of church for, I think, five years. I became a Christian when I was 17. And so, yeah, I think what it is like to be me, in, at least in a Christian context, is it's kind of odd sometimes. Christians are quite weird. <laughs> and that becomes more and more, you know, at the forefront of my thinking when strange things happen. Not strange things, but just, you know, strange rituals that we do or whatever but you learn to see the beauty yeah I ask a lot of questions I get confused I get frustrated I get excited all of the things it would be awesome to unpack every single thing that you just listed there it'd be amazing but perhaps we'll we'll focus on a, a couple today so the first thing that I would jump in on is is you talked about love asking questions so yeah talk to us a little bit about that what does what does that mean um what what's your experience been like of that in in the church mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I've told both of you at different points, asking questions is a very central part of me becoming a Christian. When I was 17 and sort of learnt about Jesus in a good way for the first time, I read the Gospel of Luke and just asked like every question, you know, is Christ his last name? What happened to whoever lost his head in the the gospel and like all of these things just so many questions why did jesus have to die why this why that how this how that who that you know like so many questions and my mentors at the time who are still very much part of my life sat with me and answered all of my questions that i'm sure were probably like to them a little bit irrelevant because I suppose in some ways they've become irrelevant to me as well now, but at the time they were important. But yeah, like I think the ways that Christians gather and live out their faith 
is really cool and beautiful but when you don't know it it's really kind of weird like why are we eating this bread and drinking this little shot glass of like grape juice what's the point of it why do we stand why do we close our eyes and so yeah I just I think for me understanding stuff is really it's really interesting I'm just interested by pretty much everything so in some ways it's fun but then at the same time there was something about Jesus that was different and so I wanted to learn about who he was and why people seem to follow him for so many years yeah and Sarah as I'm listening to you I just love the way that you are grouping words together and that all of these emotions are acceptable so you're going it's beautiful and yet it's confusing and it's frustrating and so I love that language, which enables you to to embrace and to be able to experience it with all that it means to be human, because everything is both often beautiful and confusing at the same time. Mm. And really encouraged to hear that you had mentors that sat with you in that. Yeah, they, I feel like I owe my life to them, which they say I don't, but you know, Uh, yeah, super important. And I don't think that without this couple in particular that I'm thinking of without them, I don't think I'd still be a part of the church or, or would have even really gone into it just because the community aspect. And as much as I love wide communities, big communities, whatever, that intimate, smaller discipleship type thing was the type of community that I don't think that I would have, one, experienced what the heck church is for or two, stuck around to find out what it's about. So, yeah. They're super important people. And we're very patient with a 17-year-old who was willing to push the boundaries as far as she could. So it's interesting, if I heard you correctly there, that without those relationships, you you wouldn't be a part of the church, probably still. Did I hear yeah. you saying that right? Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, what, what is it about the church as it is that without some really key relationships would make you go, yeah, uh, uh, this isn't really for me? I think a couple of things, maybe most central to the kind of person I am would be back to the question thing of if I'm sitting there in a service and these to a person who has never been a part of church and only seen like Christians on TV or like turn or burning people in the street or whatever, like to have this inaccurate view of what Jesus is about to sit through a service and they're passing out things for people to put money in. Like, why are we doing that? And again, there's nothing wrong with any of these things that we do, but it's just to, when you don't know, or you don't understand why it's happening. It has no meaning. It becomes pointless. It's confusing. And so you're just like, I guess I don't get it. So I don't fit in here or whatever, but to have people who you can, the couple that were my mentors, one of them was the pastor. And so even about sermons, I could go and ask, a whole bunch of questions or yeah just be like can you explain that in a different way that somebody who I mean they knew but someone who wasn't a part of the church could understand so I think that was important but then also humans are just highly relational and without you can have surface level connection with people in the supermarket and so without something different yeah I don't know if it would have been worth kind of sticking around but I also think that this couple that I'm talking about isn't the only people that in the world that could have been that they just happened to be the ones that were in my life and so it sounds as you're talking and I'm thinking about the place and the importance of questions because if you don't have 
the freedom to ask questions, then you don't get the understanding that you were seeking. And then you said the meaning. And that without meaning, then why on earth are we doing what we're doing? And so it seems like that's such an important starting point to have those safe spaces where you can ask the questions because actually what you're doing is seeking understanding and seeking meaning. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be, you know, deep and profound all the time. Like I think when I met with you the other week, Kathy, I was talking about how I asked one of my mentors why right before I sort of committed to Jesus, I was like, why do you think that this is the right religion? Because there are so many and all of them claim, oh, we're the right one. So what's so special about yours? And thought that she was going to say something like, well, because in the Bible it says this and so I believe it, of which I was going to respond with, screw that, I'm leaving, that's not enough. But she was just real honest and she was like, to be honest, we don't know you know, for sure. No one really knows, but I'd rather follow Jesus than do anything else. So that's why I do it. And I was like, respect, respect. That's, that's a real answer. And so, yeah, I guess with questions, we always think of answers and and maybe we think of answers having to be a clear cut thing. I don't know if that's necessary, but yeah. There's real power in the, I don't know for people, I think. Yeah. It's definitely been a part of my experience both as a leader, but also as someone who was seeking and, and questioning. Yeah. And I think we we think or we assume that people, because I've done it as well, like after, you know, becoming a part of the church and getting involved in youth leadership and everything, like you do start to think, oh, I have to have the answer for these young people. And you remind yourself, like, actually, no, that's not necessarily what people need or what people are craving when they're being curious or when they're yeah, seeking something. But it's really easy to think that you do have to have an answer. And do you think, too, part of that is learning to sit in that uncomfortableness of going, it's okay Mm. that I don't know? Because we have to sit in that for ourselves because we feel a lot better if I could say, well, actually, the answer is. And so I think even that is being able to sit in that, our own discomfort of going, actually, Mm. I don't know. And so your mentor, I think, was incredibly brave as well to acknowledge that, which you heard as authenticity. Yeah. And just like this, for me at the time, I had a very particular view of Christians that was misguided. But yeah, it it was very counter what I thought Christianity was about. So I guess it made an impact. One of the questions I had, and, and as I've been listening, you're actually answering it, was who has inspired you? And how has that impacted the way that you're living? And so I'm imagining because of that example of how they've embodied what Mm. they've believed, is that the way you're now trying to interact with the young people? Yeah, I think so. But I also think that I have to continually, probably more often than I do, reorientate myself to what I do believe because I do very easily start to... I don't know, just think that I've got the right answer or that there is even a right answer. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, people like those early mentors in my life, people like you guys, people who we all know that are just like not confined to the box or whatever that some people would put Christians into. And I think it's helpful to, to be able to see other people doing it. I think if I was the only one, I would, I would stop or forget that it's an option 
That's really interesting, Sarah. You know, what you're saying, that how easy that is a, is a default, that if you didn't have other people around you, just reinforcing that. And so your language about reorientating, that's really powerful and how you have to pause and do that for yourself. So that's a really timely reminder for all of us, actually. Yeah, because it's just like everywhere. And I don't think that these things are inherently bad, but I just think that when we sit at church on a Sunday and we hear a message and the way that we receive it or maybe we're in school and we're trying to get the right answer or whatever it is, like it's just kind of all around us. And so, and it is easier because as you said before, it's, it's not necessarily comfortable to be in the unknown or seeking something or feeling as though you were lacking an aspect of understanding or whatever. Like it's not necessarily the easiest option. And so, yeah, I guess for me, at least I naturally want to be complacent. Well, I don't actually want that, but I just do it which is frustrating, but I suppose that's what it is to be human. There's a quite a specific story that I'm thinking of that you've told us that I think is just an awesome example of your, your questioning within a church space. I wonder if you would tell us the story of your membership process at your local church and, and what kind of happened there and how that speaks into this conversation. Yeah, so I recently became a member at the church that I'm a part of and have been a part of for I think three years now and you know rock up to church on a Sunday and get given sort of a piece of paper that has a script if you will and there's a chunk that the pastor will say I believe the first chunk I wish I had it but I don't the first chunk is sort of just affirming the local church as something that we are called to be a part of and I was like yep and then the second chunk sort of had quite a fair amount of stuff in it but right at the end the last line the closing line of it was I will represent Christ to others always and <laughs> I was reading it in the during the service because my bit wasn't until the end and I was like I honestly I had this really big moment where I was like this is why I haven't become a member yet because I can't do it all of these other people are way more spiritual than me I I'm not doing this I'm not representing Christ to others always and then I was like oh I don't know. I was just thinking about it for ages. And my response was supposed to be, I will, um, to, to all of the above. And then it wasn't until the pastor and I were standing at the front of the church and he was reading it. And then I still, I still had not decided what the heck I was going to do because I couldn't. I, for some reason, I take a promise. That the word promise is like real serious to me. And so I kind of viewed this as a promise. And I was like, I can't promise that I'm gonna, it's going to be a lie. And then he reads it out and I go, am I allowed to say that I will try as opposed to I will? And kind of like the congregation laughed and he was like, yeah, of course, or whatever. And so I said that I'll try. <laughs> and then afterwards people were like, oh, it's really good that you kind of pointed that out. Um, maybe we need to reevaluate or rewrite some of our, because, you know, I don't think this thing was, this document was specific to our church. It's not, I'm not bashing on my church. But just, yeah, some things that we have that we sort of read and go, yeah, without stopping to think about it. And then and then actually last week, the Sunday just gone, um, some other people became members and that thing, that phrase was not in the membership ceremony. So I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> so that's kind of that story. When you first told it to me, I was so struck by your courage to be having that <laughs> internal dialogue and then to voice it because... 
that's really vulnerable to in front of everybody to actually admit that no I'll try and the incredible powerfulness of it that has given permission for other people to now reflect on that and go oh yeah because I think we just take it for granted you know because nobody else has challenged it we go oh well it sounds you know it sounds great but I just like couldn't get past because then I was thinking well how many people and to be honest when other people have become members I I probably didn't pay that much attention to what they were promising to which is you know testimony to my character but um I suppose they had a very similar thing if not the exact same document to read off of and then I'm like I don't understand do, do we just not I would if I promised that and then inevitably didn't do it because I got frustrated at my siblings or my parent or like whatever argued with a friend and, and wasn't actively trying to represent Christ to others always I feel like I would have spiraled into some deep shame and just been like this is why I am not like I'm not I'm not this I can't do this um you know so yeah I, it made me think about whether or not other people who had said that had maybe they did have times of feeling that or maybe they didn't I'm not sure haven't asked them and until though something else happens and then you get another layer of it and that shame builds up and I can tell you as a pastor I have heard that kind of shame the the feeling that they never measure up Mm. and they're never going to be good enough and that's a huge weight to carry as I listened to your story, it made me remember that um, something very similar that happened to me, not quite so openly, but that absolute language was really in our songs. And so it was about loving Jesus. I am always going to love Jesus. I am always going to serve him. And I remember I was about mid-20s and I thought, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to always love Jesus and I am not going to get it right. And, And so... I tried to, as we were singing the songs, to put the word and try. And then after a while, I think I just stopped singing because it no longer felt authentic. And I think this idea of not being able to embrace that we are imperfect, and that is part of it. That is, that is what we offer. That is our humanity. And since then, I have loved a quote that is, should be really familiar from Leonard Cohen. So ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I just think that is so, I mean, that's true to our experience and that is what we offer. And just uh, giving voice to this, giving voice to our our imperfection is so crucial, I think. Yeah, I I feel like we spend a lot of time pretending that we're okay or pretending that everything is good or that we're not angry at God or whatever. And I honestly feel like it's a waste of time. We were, it's like such a, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how judgmental I should get. <laughs> I feel like it's a really shallow connection uh, to have with other people when you just go, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. At least one of you is lying. Like, you know, can't be good all the time. And maybe that's okay. So you've mentioned shame a couple of times as well. You're doing some study in the human flourishing space, which is touching on on that theme and and just that story that you told. You you talked about the the shame of if I say I'm going to do this and then I don't, it's going to spin me out. What do you think as far as we're thinking about changes ahead in the church and this theme of shame? 
what are you learning or what have you discovered in, in your recent studies or, or thoughts about this as a, a theme and and or perhaps in your experience of church and yeah how does that speak into this conversation I sort of became progressively obsessed with the idea of shame in an interesting way not that I was experiencing it in an obsessed way, although I have definitely experienced it, through a friend of mine who quickly kind of developed a friendship over the first lockdown, which is kind of ironic. But that friendship has just become this mutually vulnerable but safe and honest and respectful sort of friendship that has really uh, allowed me to really believe that it is okay to not have it all together and that but also that other people I'm not the only one with like struggles of whatever it is and the study that I'm sort of working on right now is looking specifically at adolescents who experience negative self-perceptions and how some church theology maybe has influenced that and how maybe some others could heal it I'm very early in the research so please don't ask any hard questions about that but yeah I think through having or learning through friendship that when you're kind of in the presence of another person and they are, for whatever reason, trusting you to see them in their moment of complete shame and wanting to hide and wanting to not have that connection with another human, but also equally craving it the most, to be able to share that space and, and be there and not necessarily say anything to fix it or go you know provide like I don't know give a compliment or just say something good or talk about the weather like to just be there in this sort of silence but knowing that we both acknowledge that Christ is in this space somewhere and we can kind of hold those heavy spaces because we know that God is there in some way or another I think through that relationship and friendship and with others then from that point, I've really been able to trust that it, it honestly is okay and very normal that, that we have these experiences and that people don't necessarily fulfill your biggest fears when you are vulnerable with them. Sometimes they do and that's, you know, grieving process and stuff. But when you do have safe people, it, it can just be such a healing sort of environment and I do truly believe that that is or should be maybe what it is to be the body of Christ. What you're describing, if we that is to me the best news. This space that is seen and the healing that comes from that. And I was thinking, even if one thing people could take away from listening to you is to get, just go, can I just sit with this person? That's one thing they could practice without doing anything more. If they could just go, I don't need to talk. <laughs> I just need to listen. And they could just mirror back what they're hearing. That would be a powerful thing that people could just start to do now. Yeah, that is that is very true. And I like that you emphasize the mirroring thing because, yeah, if you're just going to sit there completely silent, that's maybe not the move. But <laughs> to, yeah, to... And, and even in that space to ask questions, like clarifying questions for the other person, not because your own, you know, want for the gossip or whatever is is getting in the way, but just because you are deeply trying to understand this person's experience and being like super gentle with, you know, reading the room. Maybe they don't want to answer your questions. And I mean, you can even ask a question with like, you don't actually need to talk about this. I'm just curious. And to trust that that person is going to be has obviously trusted you with 
the space and and so is unlikely to be horridly offended if you do ask some kind of a clarifying question or if you are just there sitting with them and you're like dang that that's real hard and just kind of leaving it there and not rushing to get out of it you know like if they've welcomed you into that space you can almost safely assume that for you to just sort of be there for however long you're willing to give it that's probably going to be received well I've not seen it received not well yet but maybe it does happen I'm not sure I just think that this concept of sitting with someone in that that pain without having answers without having and without letting our feelings also then dominate the fact that you know oh, I feel uncomfortable because you've just talked about something really hard and and I'm um, actually this I'm making it all about me now if this became more of what church um, contexts were known for how do you imagine that shifting or, or that changing our, our experiences of, of gathering together as, as local expressions of the body of Christ? I think that the gospel will become a lot more like active and real because I think people, and I haven't researched this, I'm just assuming, but for the most part, most of the people I know at least, and off the back of the two years of the p- pandemic, like we just, we need like actual connection with people and we all have something that we hope and pray no one will ever see us in that state or know about this thought or whatever. And when, and those things kind of can, I suppose, haunt us in a way. But then when you bring that to a, to a safe person who is like dedicated to walking with you, and they kind of receive you as Christ would. That's what well, I think that's one of the most powerful things that the body of Christ has to offer because you don't find it anywhere else. Everywhere else, people want to talk about, they want to move past it. So they're like, oh, well, at least it's not like this situation that happened. Or maybe they try and relate to it with something that is not like that at all. And then you're just like, oh, you're left feeling unseen. You're like, they didn't get it. Or you're like, that was too much. I exploded on them and they like didn't want that and then you just get like reinforced in your own shame and I feel like with the church the good parts of the church at least it can really offer a space that that just starts to not not to try and fix people but just to be like okay we're here to genuinely walk with you or sit with you maybe you don't want to walk anywhere maybe we'll crawl you know and genuinely welcome people and accept people for where they are and how they are instead of pretending that we do and not actually doing it real challenge in what you're saying for us as as churches church communities but also a really beautiful vision of what could be of people gathering together and i love that phrase of seeing one another truly seeing one another rather than as you kind of said it but you know but before how are you i'm good yeah, I'm all right. But yeah, I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm good. And yeah. like, I get it because that that sort of response serves a certain purpose. Maybe on a Sunday, you're not willing to, you know, sit in your shame for a little while. But I think it's crucial that that's not all of our church relationships. You know, Sarah, that's just amazing. I think what you're describing is the only way forward. But people need to know how to hold that space because it's very vulnerable. Because if you could share yourself like that and then someone doesn't see you well, then your shame gets multiplied. (laughs) But when you are really seen well, I think it's one of the only ways that we're healed. Like I, I feel like I've heard from both of you, unless I'm remembering wrong, that you both have some sort of experience with 
another person either sitting with you or you with another. So, yeah, while I do think that the church has a real opportunity to be a door for people that welcomes them and has time for them, I think surely that's not a new thing. Surely. And I think that's the hope that maybe it is the new groundswell and we're trying to stoke that (laughs) and encourage that to say, but we need to do it more. And so that is encouraging, yes, you know, to to hear the signs of it and we want to say, but we want to keep doing more of that. This is the way ahead. What's something you think that, yeah, the listeners could do? Yeah, just a real practical first step. It might be a small one. Yeah, when they show up to church on Sunday or perhaps have a chat with their pastor. You go to church and you, oh, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. And then go, should we try again? And should should we be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more honest? I mean, pick your people wisely, I guess. But at the same time, I've done it with people I've just met. I mean, to be more vulnerable than just good is not that hard. So you can kind of, there's a bit of a spectrum between that and, you know, a meltdown, but you can still, uh, not that there's anything wrong with meltdown, you can still, you know, be more vulnerable than just good. And then to start practicing asking questions. Now, know that it's okay to ask questions. And for me, it kind of, I suppose, comes naturally in a way, but when someone is telling you something about themselves or maybe they're talking about the sermon, like even something as as small as what is that like for you? Or here's something that I heard from the sermon this morning. What do you think about that? Or yeah, just, just to start to question stuff, allow your teacher brain to be curious and like think of, you can ask questions about so many things. It's, it, I mean, you go a little crazy a little bit sometimes, but like you, it's not that hard, I don't think. You just said something and I love this. Teach your brain to be curious. And that could be like a practice. That becomes a spiritual practice. Teach your brain. Yeah, love it. Well, Sarah, it's been such a great chance to, to sit with you and hear your thoughts and your ponderings, your questions, your challenges. So thank you for for taking some time with us and for helping us imagine the, the changes ahead. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.